Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, I don't know if you can remember two different seasons in your life. The songs that we were just singing are just very powerful reminders of what it's like when you're where you know you need to be, where you're submitting to the Lord and the Lord is fighting your battles for you. The, the heavy hand of the Lord is your shield and His righteous right hand is your guard and, and all is, is well and you know that's the way it's supposed to be. Whether circumstances are good or bad, you know you're walking with the Lord and He's fighting your battles for you. But do you remember seasons that aren't so much like that? Maybe you're in one of those seasons right now where... Instead of feeling like uh, you have the Lord's hand going before you, you feel that you are under the, the heavy hand of the Lord, and, and it's, a really, it's, a, it's a terrible place to be. Uh, you know, it, it, I'm not sure if you know what I'm talking about, but we exalt ourselves up against the Lord, um, and we don't really fully realize it at first, probably, but initially it's kind of a self-exaltation, a pride, a refusal to repent, a refusal to submit to what we know maybe the Lord wants for us or, or what the Lord has told us in his word. Uh, and, and it begins a, a steady, steady, gradual decline. I, I, in my personal experience, when I, when I experience this, a lot of times it feels a little empowering at first, as strange as that may be. You know, uh, maybe it's kind of a prideful self-exaltation, and it feels good. Like, maybe, maybe there's a sense of, I'm, I'm going to get even, or I'm going to think thoughts about them that I shouldn't think, or whatever it is. It's just, at first it almost feels good, but what we don't realize, it's like swimming upstream. And, and maybe there's something in it for a while that you're like, I got this. And, and then you realize over time, man, I can't keep this up. And, and it's like gravity that's weighing down on you that sooner or later, it is going to crush you. And, and, and the emotional response of refusing to submit to his will and thinking we're getting away to it, uh, give it getting away with it, uh, succumbs to things like anxiety and, and impatience and, and anger and fits of rage start to show up in my, in my life and maybe fears and and emptiness, a sense of something's just not right. And for me, then I start going, spinning off into all these different directions. And, 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 and then you might see that relationships start to fracture and consequences start to come crashing in. And, and to, to the most extreme, you know, uh, marriages break up, families break up, jobs are lost, financial ruin comes crashing in. And, and this is the experience of living under the heavy hand of the Lord. And it's a terrible place to be. And we all probably can relate to being there. We, we've seen it with Eli and his two sons, where they were getting, packing on the weight. And that's what the, the literature is doing. That's what the God-inspired author that wrote these incredible works of literature to, to tell us God's word to us does is he's playing with this idea of the weight of the glory of God. And Eli and his sons are stealing the sacrifices that were meant for God. They're packing on the weight of the glory of God, so much so that when Eli's boys are in battle against, against God, in essence, I mean, he takes them out. And Eli, the dad, who's sitting back and getting fat on the same glory of God who he's robbing God for himself, falls off his throne and cracks his neck. 
and he dies. God is not someone to be trifled with. Today we're going to see something very similar taking place that we saw with Eli taking place with the Philistines outside of Israel. Whether it's inside the people of God or outside the people of God, it's a terrible thing to come against a mighty God. And that's what we see happening. So if that's where you are and you're under the heavy hand of the Lord, I pray that you find this morning a way out. The way to get out from under the weight of the hand of God. Father, would you help us this morning as we look at your text? Would you teach us? Would you, would you equip us? And for most of us, I imagine it's not a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of the heart. Lord, help us to be a people after your own heart. A people who are taking refuge in your hand, finding shelter in your powerful hand, and not under the heavy hand of the Lord. All this in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're picking up in 1 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to cover chapter 5, 6, and 7. So we've got a couple hours. We're going to cut into core class time. Uh, or I'm going to have to just breeze through some of it and kind of summarize it for you. And we'll kind of slow down on chapter 7. But when we get to chapter 5, we see that the God of Israel is in a showdown with Dagon, the God of the Philistines. Chapter 5, verse 1, when the Philistines had captured the ark, if you'll remember last week, they captured the ark of God, the very presence of God, the mercy seat of God, the dwelling place of God among his people has been taken by the enemy, brought it in. They brought it in from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and they brought it into the house of Dagon, to this temple, this worship place of Philistines God, Dagon, and they set it up besides Dagon. You see this picture in your head, this two, two gods side by side, treated as equals. And the people of Ashdod are so excited, they rose early the next day to see how this goes. And behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? I mean, here's this false god that is just bowed down at the feet of the one true God. And I love the phrasing here. So they took Dagon and put him in his place. Oh, no, 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 no. That's what God is doing here. God is putting Dagon in his place. They're showing us where they're putting this false god They keep putting him in this place as equal to the one true God. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen again, face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Only this time now the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. So the source of wisdom and knowledge broken off. Hands of power broken off. 
So here lies this false god that had been supposedly co-equal to God. The battle was over before it even started. It's interesting to notice that this Dagon has the same fate as Eli. Both of them try to put themselves on equal grounds with God. They both end up on the ground before God with broken heads, broken necks. It's an awesome scene, and this supposed God of the Philistines winds up on the ground with a broken neck, and Yahweh has displayed his supreme authority and power. He has no co-equal. This was no battle. This was just a clear display of the obvious, unique supremacy of God. He's the creator of all things as the Bible reveals. He's the one who spoke all things into existence. These deaf, blind, dumb, mute, powerless idols are just that. They're nothing. They're idols. They're statues that the people have to carry them around and think that that's where the power is. They can't even walk. The one true God of the universe has all power, all glory. And there's no question about it. You don't want to oppose God. You don't want to try to resist him and oppose him and exalt yourself and puff yourself up and say, let's do this. It may feel good for a little bit, but I promise you it won't in the end. You don't want to oppose this God or try to take the weight of his glory upon yourself. Because it will crush you. As the narrative continues, we see in verse 6 that as long as the Philistines are defaming the glory of God and blaspheming God, in verse 6 it says this, The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people. He terrified them. He afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And so we see this, the heavy weight of the glory of God when a people take it upon themselves to say, I'm going to, I'm going to resist this weight. They can't stand in the presence of this God. And a nation who tries to stand against this God will be crushed. We can't handle that kind of glory. Whether it's the weight of the responsibility of being God will crush us with anxiety. Or whether it's the weight of of not wanting to give in and surrender. I'm going to go head to head with this God. Just the mental, physical toll that that will take on us. It's destructive. And so what do we see happening Finally, we see they sent the ark off to Gath. They're like, get this thing out of here. And what happens in Gath, verse 10 tells us that the hand of the Lord was heavy against the city. You hear the theme? The hand of the Lord was heavy against the city, causing a, great, a very great panic. And he afflicted them and the, the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. In verse 10, so they sent the ark, send the ark out of here. They sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people at Ekron had heard about it. And they cried out, 
They have brought around to us the ark of God of Israel to kill us and all of our people. And they sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of God of Israel. Let it return to its proper place. Amen? That's what God's doing. Do you see what God is sovereignly doing? Though the nations roar, he's restoring his glory back to the proper place. Now, they aren't repenting. They're just going, these consequences, I just got to get out from under them. That it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. Why? The hand of God was very heavy there. Are you seeing the theme? The author is intentionally repeating that phrase. He's playing with it of Eli, put, packing on the weight it said he had gotten weighty, and he, I mean, this is clearly the point of these narratives in chapter 5 and 6. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. This is what happens when we oppose God. We don't think that's what we're doing. We think we're just getting, just, just going to do it my way. I'm just going to try it my way for a while. Or I just, I don't want to forgive them, Lord. I don't want to obey you here. I just think I've got a better plan. We don't understand that that is opposing Almighty God. Or I know the Word of God says this, but I'm going to live this way when I'm off at college. I mean, that's just what you do when you're at college. No, you're opposing the mighty hand of God. And you're inviting this kind of weight to crush you. But notice in chapter 6, they start asking some questions. And these questions are exactly the right questions. These questions are the questions that the author wants us to ask as he's drawn us into the story. And we see in verse 2 that... As they've been suffering for seven months under the heavy hand of God, they finally start to say in verse 2 of chapter 6, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? That's the question we should be asking. What shall we do with God? How should we treat him? And then in verse 4 of chapter 6, they ask, What, what is this guilt offering that we should return to the Lord for, for mistreating his glory, for defaming his glory, for blaspheming his name, for resisting him. And now I'm recognizing he is on me. He's opposing me. He's, he's trying to turn me to repent. I should ask this question, what guilt offering, what can I do to make amends to this holy God for the way I've been treating him? And then in verse 6 they say, why should you harden your heart as Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? We know what happened to them. Why should you harden your hearts against this God? Man, those are great questions that we should be asking ourselves. If you find yourself here today and you feel the heavy hand of the Lord upon you because you know that you are not living for his glory, you are not giving him the credit and glory and the place in your life, the, the place of position in your heart, that these are the questions to ask. How should I be treating the Lord? What guilt offering can I give for this egregious sin against him? 
Why should I harden my heart against him? Those are great questions. What is the answer? What can you do to make up for it? For sake of time, let me just say the pattern continues in the story. No surprise, right? Everywhere the glory of God goes, the people resist giving him glory, resist putting him in his proper place. They tend to want to create their own gods and write their own script and decide for themselves anything but submit to him. And then they find themselves afflicted under the heavy hand of God. Until finally the the ark is coming back to Bethlehem. There's some weird little thing with the cows and and these gold tumors, and it's weird. Go back and read it. And, and if you understand it, then you can tell me, and then I won't go through it so fast next time. But they send up the cows, and if it goes this way, then we know, okay, that was God, the one true God. And if it goes that way, then maybe it was just a coincidence. So they still aren't convinced. Well, the cows go straight back to Israel. That's something, something about when the cows come home, maybe. That's where that came from. So the cows are coming home, and... They've got these gold tumors up there, and that's their guilt offering. Like, yeah, we'll just buy them off or something. And then it gets to Beshemesh in Israel, and they're rejoicing. Woohoo! The glory of the Lord is returning to Israel. And then some more Israelites get struck down. And why? Because. They didn't treat the glory of God the way it was supposed to be treated. They didn't treat the ark the way it was supposed to be treated. They've been given clear instructions. This is how you handle the glory of God. And even after all this journey, the glory of God is coming back to Israel. Remember, Ichabod has left Israel. The glory is coming. Now it's coming back. And what do they do? You got some still that don't want to treat the glory of God the way it should be treated. And they pay the price. And so here's what we're seeing from chapter 5 and chapter 6. Remember, this is, this is key. Sin is the fruit of a heart that does not properly respond to the glory of the Lord. We tend to think about our sin as that's the problem. It is a problem, but there's a deeper problem. Sin is the fruit of a heart that does not respond properly to the glory of the Lord. We need to look under the sin and look at how we're viewing and responding, how our heart is is reacting to the Lord and His glory. And so we get to the the key question of the text in chapter 6, verse 20. The obvious question. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Who is able to resist him? Who is able to stand before him? What's the answer? Nobody. But who? Jesus. So in chapter 6, we've seen four key questions to ask ourselves. I'm going to review them again. In 6-2, what shall we do with the glory of the Lord? In in verse 4, 6-4, what is the guilt offering that we should return to him 
considering what we've done with the glory of the Lord. And in verse 6, 6, why should we harden our hearts? And then in verse 20, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? We find the answers in chapter 7. The answers to these questions in chapter 7, this is how you get out from under the heavy hand of the Lord. Here's what we must do. If you find yourself today in this place where you know I have the weight crushing me and I've got to get out from under this. What do you do? First of all, verse 1 and 2, chapter 7, grieve your sin. Look what it says in 7.1. Then the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they, <clears throat> they consecrated his son, Eleazar, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. So they're putting it back in its proper place. They're reordering their lives and the, as a people around the glory of God, establishing a priesthood. From the day the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, as long as that time, that long time had passed, some 20 years. We say it like that. Oh, just 20 years. 20 years they did this. What did they do? All the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. For 20 years as they worked to get the people to reorder their lives around the proper place of the glory of God on his throne among the people and they grieved their sin and they lamented the consequences and the destruction and the the crushing that they have experienced because they dared to set themselves up and to stand against the one true God of the universe. This is what we must do. This is what I got to do. I got to get out of that place where I feel empowered. And I got to realize I am destroying myself. I am destroying my family. I am destroying everything in my life. And I need to grieve that. And you need to do the same thing with your sin. You need to look at this story and not see yourself as Samuel. But to see yourself as you were disgusted at what Eli's sons were doing as they were abusing the, the people who came to worship. And, and they, were, they were taking for themselves the glory that was meant for God. I mean, here was this priest. We should see ourselves that that's what we do. And why would they eat of that Why would they eat the meat and steal it? Why would they sin like that? Because sin is the fruit of the heart that does not properly respond to the glory of the Lord. They weren't seeing him as glorious. They weren't treating him as glorious. And if he's not glorious, then what's the big deal? I'll take a little for myself. I encourage you, pray, Holy Spirit, convict me of my sin Grieve me of how I have treated you this way, like Eli and his sons. 
I'm packing on the weight of the glory of God onto my life. And as we pack on that weight, it will crush us. So grieve your sin. What's next? Look at verses 3 and 4. Choose your God. Grieve your sin and then choose your God. Because that's what we're doing every day. We're choosing the God we will serve. Verse 3, and Samuel said, ha, glory, Samuel's back in the scene. It's like these dark days came as Samuel, the word of God, has been removed. He said to the house of Israel, if If you are really returning to the Lord with all your heart, then, if then, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the ashtoreth. That means a complete wholehearted repentance from among you. And direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. You hear the action there? Put away those gods and direct your heart to the Lord. Train your heart in obedience. Guide your own heart towards that which you know is truly best for you. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines against your enemies. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asterisks and they served Yahweh only. That's a glorious picture of repentance. Genuine repentance includes not just stopping sin, but it includes turning away from the gods that led you into that and stop defaming the glory of God and to train your heart back towards God and His glory and who He is as the great high God who saved you and deserves to be served every day of your life with joy. We must admit that we have other gods that we're wanting to serve. And that's what the sin is all about. That's what's underneath the sin. That's the sin under the sin. Is that we're serving another god. And how do you know what that god looks like? It's not a statue in your case. It's not a, it's not a carved image in our case. I was thinking about how to word this. And, and I think for me it's... In our culture, and our vernacular, it's like, what are you obsessed about? I mean, we think it's okay to say, man, I'm obsessed over this. Bing! There's your sign. That might be your God. I'm obsessed over this, and, and I'm so, oh, this has captured my imagination. This is, is dictating my emotions that if, if I don't have this, I'm going to feel like life isn't worth living or I'm going to get depressed or I'm not going to feel content or I'm not going to be satisfied or, or I'm obsessed with this because this is where I find my identity or this is what makes me feel safe and secure. That is your God. Whether it's control or whether it's possession or whether it's just ease and comfort, just I will do anything not to have to suffer. That's, what, that's where we should tune in and go, okay, this is, this is dangerous. This is starting to capture my heart. This is starting to, I'm starting to put this up next to God. And you don't want to stand against God. You don't want to try to hold up the weight of the glory of God because it's not a pretty sight. 
So what's the center of your universe right now? What are you obsessed over? What are you just focused on? What are you giving your life to? Watch it carefully. Turn away. Choose your God daily throughout the day. As for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh, the one true God, Jesus Christ. So what do we do once we've identified our potential Dagon? We go to Jesus. Look at verses 5 through 10. We see them going to Samuel, who is their intercessor between them and God. And that's our picture of Jesus. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. Listen to what the intercessor does for them. He says, I will pray for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, and they drew water and poured it out before the Lord and the Lord, and, and then they fasted on that day, and they said there, we have sinned against the Lord. Then go to your intercessor and say, I have sinned against the Lord. And what does the intercessor do? He judged the people. Yes, you're right. You are guilty. Now, let me figure out a way to make you just and righteous. What does he do? Now, when the Philistines heard the people, they gathered around Mizpah. The Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. When the people heard of it, they were afraid. But what did they do this time? People said to Samuel, they went to the intercessor, Do not cease to cry out for the Lord, to the Lord God for us, that he may save us, that we might get behind his mighty right hand, that he might save us. from the hand of the Philistines. And so what did Samuel do? The intercessor sacrifices the lamb and offers it as the whole burnt offering. What kind of guilt offering can we give the Lord who we have opposed? The intercessor only can give you the guilt offering of the unblemished lamb. He offered it as a whole burnt offering. And that judgment, yes, you're guilty, is poured out on the offering. Whole burnt completely destroyed, obliterated, wiped out, completely absorbing the wrath of God is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And Samuel, like Jesus, cried out to the Lord for us, for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. As the offering is being made, the enemy is coming in, crashing down the Philistines drew near to attack Israel but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the enemy against the Philistines threw them in confusion like Jesus did to Satan and they were defeated before Israel and the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and they pursued the Philistines and they struck them as far as below Bethkar what a picture of Christ for us This is what we do. When we turn to Christ, Christ fights for us. Christ sacrificed himself as the unblemished lamb. He absorbed the wrath of God that I deserved and that you deserved because you defame and blaspheme the glory of God and you've dared to stand before him and oppose him and yet he graciously takes the punishment and he forgives. He crushed Satan. He crushed, defeated Satan and the enemies and he gives you victory over your worst enemy. That is sin. And Satan himself. The only question is, where are you positioning yourself in relation to this powerful 
powerful, heavy hand of God. Are you placing yourself against his hand, under his hand, the heavy hand is crushing you? Or are you out from under that by turning to Christ and saying, you fight for me. You're my shield. You're my protector. You're my rock. And there is no rock like our God. And so they got victory in the battle that day. The first time they faced the Philistines, they rushed in on their own and they were destroyed in chapter 4. Here in chapter 7, they stopped and they said, no, let's go to God through our intercessor. And this time, they got victory. And many of us stopped there with that one battle in our own spiritual battles, our spiritual journeys. We're like, man, that was awesome. I got victory. And they were like, woo, we're good. And then we go right back to where we were. And so our final point of getting out from under the heavy hand of God is this. Continue in Jesus. Continue in Jesus. Don't just get that one battle of victory. It's daily. It's weekly. It's monthly. It's going to be a battle the rest of your life. You continue in Jesus. In verse 12, Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shin. And he called the name Ebenezer. For he said... Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued. Listen to the restoration and the revival that happens when they go to God through their intercessor. The Philistines were subdued. They did not again enter into that territory. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines now. All the days that the intercessor was fighting on their behalf, then the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. Then from Ekron to Gath, and Israel was delivered. Do you hear these words? Restoration, victory, deliverance from the territory of the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. They continued in this state. And he went on the circuit year by year, the word of God, traveling throughout the people of God in Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all those places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there he also judged Israel, and he built there an altar to Yahweh. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That's what Jesus brings. But notice what this last key point to remember is. They set up a rock called Ebenezer. That's a rock of remembrance. Remember to always rely on the Lord. How are you doing that right now? What are you doing to set up a, an Ebenezer in your life? What are you doing to, to remember that the battle is the Lord's and to teach your kids, go to the Lord. Let him be your intercessor. Let him fight for you. Don't live under the heavy hand of God, but live behind the hand of God. Let him fight for you. You come to church, and that's part of it. We sing songs like we did today, that the battle is the Lord's, that I fight on my knees. We baptize people, and baptism is a powerful Ebenezer in our life to, to celebrate that sacrifice that Christ did for me and to say, I'm, I'm, I'm totally relying on this rock, Christ, for my salvation. And the Lord's Supper is an ordinance that Jesus gave us to remember this. These are all Ebenezers. Community group is a weekly Ebenezer to remind you, fight in the Lord's strength. Let the Lord fight your battles for you. Core classes are helping you understand until you... Every week it's a reminding, here's what you got to do this week. Here's how you fight for the Lord. Here you fight against culture. But maybe there's something creative that you can do 
Grab your kids this break, this fall break. Go somewhere, set up an Ebenezer. Give them a memory that blazes in their mind that Jesus Christ is your rock. Something that the next generation will say, tell me about that. What does that mean? That's what the memorial stones did in Israel. Tell me what those rocks mean. That's where Jesus, that's where God opened the sea for us, the river for us, and we went across. Set up Ebenezer's in your life. That's the only way that we will continue to fight our battles in the Lord. So I don't know where you are today. We're memorizing a text right now, 1 Samuel 12, 24, as a church. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. That's exactly what this text is doing. Father, we ask for your help, Lord, that we would repent of the sin that reveals that our heart is not responding to you properly. And Lord, would you just remind us again of the great things you have done for us in Jesus, that we would continue. Help us to set up our own Ebenezer's. Help us to remind our families and to teach the next generation. The battle is the Lord's. And may we never stop relying on Jesus. And we thank you that he is always, always faithful. It's in Christ's name we pray.